You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that am. So I want to rip through some updates really quickly. Um, we did get some new additions to the team. Nothing super massive. Um, we signed running back James Robinson. They've been kind of talking about that for a while. Um, he came in for a visit. They worked him out. They ended up signing him, and they put him on the practice squad. They also signed cornerback Anthony Johnson. Not safety Anthony Johnson Jr., but cornerback Anthony Johnson. Also put on the practice squad. Cornerback Keandre Thomas was released from the practice squad. So... Keandre, man, I had some high hopes for you. I really thought he was going to do so. I mean, they could bring him back, but it just kind of seems like the team, um, it's kind of kind of a big 2022 guy, I think, and then just not so much this year. And we, we got a lot of competition there. We talked about that all offseason, how many DBs we had. I'll be honest, I forgot about safety Anthony Johnson. I, I kind of hope that that uh, continues to grow and materialize. Maybe by next year, we'll see how it goes. But anyways, that's the thing. For those curious, James Robinson, 5'9", 219, so he's a Gutekunst type player short and stout there's his handle there's his spout um as far as his abilities came out of illinois state undrafted in 2020 played for jacksonville for several years actually had a pretty good year his first year that's probably why you remember his name and get excited about it potentially but uh, especially fantasy football guys you remember wasn't that long ago 240 attempts 1070 yards 4.5 yards per attempt seven touchdowns and two fumbles 78.5 rushing grade then in 2021, he had uh, 767 yards, 4.7 yards per attempt, eight touchdowns, four fumbles. So the fumbles got a little worse, but as a runner, it got better. Then, um, for whatever reason, in year three for Jacksonville, 340 yards through week seven, three touchdowns and a fumble, 4.2 yards per attempt, and they moved him to New York. I don't know if that was a trade or what, don't really care to look into it, but uh, New York picked him up week eight, the very next week. And he had, in four weeks, 85 yards, 2.9 yards per attempt, and a 49.7 rushing grade. Now, it's a terrible offensive line there, but, I mean, the fact that he was as solid as he was, and then Jacksonville's like, nah, get out of here. And then the Jets picked him up, and after four games, they're like, nah, we don't want you. And then he did nothing until, you know, October of 2023 when the Packers picked him up, and he just stashed on the practice squad. Uh, I, I just, I think it kind of tells us everything we need to know. Packers would prefer to have him, but I don't think it's a super serious long-term strategy. It's more of a potential option if, for example, Aaron Jones goes down again, we could try him out and see how that works out. Or A.J. Dillon or whatever. Some other pretty big news. We know Justin Jefferson went down for the Minnesota Vikings, and that is going to be our upcoming opponent after the uh, Denver Broncos. They also placed outside linebacker Marcus Davenport on IR. That was the, the move that I had mentioned Minnesota made that I thought was actually really solid. He's a really good football player. I don't know why the Saints moved on. Um, you know, maybe not exactly elite, but a good player. He was definitely struggling this year. Um, I mean, his grades every year in New Orleans, it was 70, 84, 75, 89, 70. So he's kind of like Preston. It's like an every other year thing. This is one of his down years technically, but he was at a 55 grade, 52 run defense, 27 tackling. 
60 pass rush, 53 covering. He had just seven pressures and two sacks on 77 attempts. So he was off to a really, really rough start. Although, again, and I don't know why they keep doing this, they have two 4-3 defensive ends playing outside linebacker. They're stuck on this outside linebacker thing, but they get rid of Zadarius, who can play outside linebacker. They keep Daniil Hunter, which makes sense because he's Daniil Hunter, but he's a better down defensive end. They're making him play outside linebacker. Then they go and get another... 4-3 down defensive end in Marcus Davenport. Tell him to play outside linebacker. He plays like crap, and now he's on IR. I don't know why they're doing that. I mean, Daniil Hunter this year has a 64 grade. His lowest prior to this was his rookie year with a 70.3. Now, this isn't his first year playing outside linebacker, but it's not working, dude. He has 21 pressure. I mean, he has eight sacks. That's freaking crazy. But he has 21 pressures on 201 attempts. That's not terrible, but it's it's whatever. Sacks are wild, though. But, I mean, his run defense is by far at an all-time low. His pass rush grade is the lowest since 2017. So, you know, whatever. Viking's going to Viking, I guess. I don't, I don't understand. I mean, it's, it's frustrating as a, just a general NFL fan because it's like you got two really good edge rushers, and you're using them wrong, and you're not maximizing what they can do. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm not plugged into the Vikings well enough to fully understand what the thought process here, other than... We want good players and a good defensive coordinator, and we're going to pretend that where they play doesn't matter. But anyways, again, um, they're going to be without their, uh, probably the best player on their team, Justin Jefferson, and, you know, I, I would I would like to say one of their better players on defense, but he was not having the best year ever. But uh, that'll just put a little bit more on DJ Wonham, who actually was getting more snaps than Marcus Davenport anyways. In fact, so was Pat Jones. I don't know if Davenport was, oh, he was hurt. He was hurt for a couple games anyways, so... But anyways, DJ Wonham will be sort of the guy. He's got 14 pressures on 167 attempts, two sacks, so he's not a very good pass rusher, but a pretty solid run defender. And uh, Pat Jones is just horrific across the board. He has a 30 PFF grade, 32 run defense, 26 tackling grade, 44 pass rush grade, 45 coverage grade, 10 pressures on 117 attempts, zero sacks. So that's what they got to work with. Aside from those three guys, they've got uh, Andre Carter who I believe is a rookie this year, if I remember right. Yeah, he was surprisingly an undrafted free agent. I thought they were talking about him being like a second-round pick at some point. I don't think I really liked him very much, so it doesn't surprise me a ton, but I do remember Mr. Andre Carter. Um, He may have to kind of step it up and play a little bit more. We'll see. But yeah, Vikings go in the wrong direction in terms of uh, injuries and whatnot. Speaking of... Uh, the Chicago Bears and Justin Fields, that's somewhat of a serious situation. There's a question as to whether or not he's going to need surgery. And generally, you figure if there's surgery, there's going to be some additional recovery time. I mean, it could actually make things go faster, depending on how that all plays out. But um, don't know exactly at this time if that's going to be the path for the Chicago Bears. But he was asked, Eberflus was asked about it. His answer was, again, the, the grip strength. He's working better. The swelling has gone down some, which is good, so we'll see where he is. And that's all we got. Obviously, don't expect him to play this week, but there's a question of, like, how long is this going to go on? Um, could end up being pretty much an extended period of time, which, you know, I mean, I don't know. Again, I, I, I genuinely think that sucks for Justin Fields, but it, 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 it's not the worst thing in the world for the Bears, who really just need these two number one picks and probably grab a quarterback and a either a top wide receiver or an elite offensive lineman or something. Um, but I, as much as I rag on Justin Fields, this ain't the way for him to go out, man. This is, this is stupid. I'm not saying I know that's what's going to happen, but I mean, if they have, end up with the top two picks and walk away from quarterback, I'm just going to freaking laugh. Not that there's a guarantee that a quarterback fixes the team. I'm just saying, I mean, that, that would be insane. But then finally for the Green Bay Packers, um, pretty, I guess good news for everybody except Devondre Campbell, which I think was expected as soon as we heard it was a high ankle. You kind of expect it's going to take a little bit of time. The reason I say I guess it's good news is because, you know, Aaron Jones is practicing, which is great. The problem is he's limited with a hamstring injury, which is what he's been for kind of a long time. Sorry, my microphone was low. Hopefully you can hear me. I'm not recording all that again. <laughs> uh, in addition to that, the... Ma- uh, the man himself, the Zaniac, Zane Anderson, still limited with a hamstring injury. I just, I don't know if we can rebound until we get him back on the field. Elton Jenkins also limited with his knee injury. Um, fingers crossed that that whatever he's dealing with is in part why he's struggling because I'm slowly losing a little bit of faith in Elton Jenkins and I don't like that. I liked it a lot more when 
he, he was a premier <laughs> football player. Um, but anyways, Savage also was limited with a calf injury. Stokes limited with a foot injury. And then uh, Quay and Devontae Wyatt both have knee injuries. Quay Walker practicing again. Good news, but still limited, so who knows. But uh, again, Devontae Wyatt also added to the injury report. Full disclosure, I am picking this right back up um, from recording yesterday. So I'm a little bit behind on what we've talked about so far. We had to go get and carve some pumpkins with the kids. So I didn't quite have enough time to finish, unfortunately. I apologize. So why don't we just take a break here? And then uh, we'll come back with some other stuff. I do want to give a big shout out to uh, Charles Jaggers, Jaegers, Jaggers, for the uh, donation on Venmo. I really appreciate that. If you want to support the podcast, you can support me on Venmo, Packernet Podcast, or on Patreon at uh, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now... Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So the plan was to get through um, the you know Rich Bisaccia, Adam Senovich, Joe Barry press conferences today, but um, because we've got a new round of, of interviews, Matt Lafleur went back to the podium and whatnot. I'm just going to jump to Joe Barry because I don't know that any you know we can assume Matt Lafleur speaks for the offense well enough, and I didn't see anything on social media that made it seem like he said anything massively exciting. Same for Rich Bisaccia. I mean that is a major. Uh, problem special teams we went from being one of the worst to being one of the worst to being one of the best to being one of the worst again so we had one kind of flashy year where we were really good mostly because Keyshawn had some good returns and now it seems like that's gone away and we are back to being by you know whatever metrics are measuring it one of the worst special teams again so we could listen to that, but as long as these things take, let's just do Joe Barry. Hopefully we can get through it fast enough and then get to uh, Matt LaFleur because I don't want to do interviews for three, four, five days in a row. we got to start talking about the Broncos and whatnot. So let's try to get through this as quickly as possible. Uh, first question was mostly just coach speak stuff, but uh, the second question is after your self-scout, what kind of things do you like and what things do you want changed? Well, you know, obviously I, th I think if you look at it um, – I think our play style, I've been probably, if, if I look at the what I'm most proud of, um, how hard the guys have played, um, you know, the the negative, obviously, the, the two games being the biggest where we, you know, gave up a ton of rush yards, that was probably the, um, those were probably the, the, the two biggest things, pro and negative. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's early. Um, Hopefully we continue to get some guys back that have that have been out, um, and we got we got a ton of football left to play. So I'm I'm excited about that. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you there, Joe. <laughs> I don't think we can call the first six weeks of the season a warm up. But all right, so again, nothing massively insightful. But his seemingly biggest disappointment was the two games where they didn't perform well against the run. And the thing he likes most is how hard everybody's playing. So all right, there you go. Not much to take away from that, but let that stand on its own. 
Uh, skipping a lot of other stuff. I, again, it's just for me personally, not, you can go back and watch it and see for yourself. Uh, nothing super um, need to know, I guess. Uh, there's some, one of the things that I think people like to do is, is sort of pigeonhole and kind of do the fan thing where it's like, well, you, you know, should you be playing more eight man box or whatever? And it's like, well, that's not, you know, I mean, his answer is is essentially the right answer, which is football is more nuanced than just that kind of a thing. Every play, you have to be able to defend the run in the pass, at least to some degree. Now, yeah, there there are shades to it, but you know, it's just it's just this constant dance between the media and NFL coaches, where the media speaks in you know 1993, 1986, you know, context of these rigid boxes, and then today's NFL, there are no rigid boxes. Everything you know. It's like uh, we've all become Bruce Lee. You have to be like water. Water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friends. So anyway, they went through that dance for about five, six, seven minutes. Um, and then there's this answer, which um, really there's only one reason, but since I haven't played much, we'll get to it. The question was essentially, Rashawn's looking good, but what are you getting from the rest of your outside linebackers? Are you getting enough? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think... Uh it's it's good to see Rashawn being able to, and I'm I'm hoping that we're at the stage now where, um, you know, we've been pretty select when we when we've had to play him. Yeah, he's he's uh, <laughs> he's proven week in and week out that he can handle more uh, with his injury. So um, I'm hoping that we can even get more production specifically out of him the more we can play him. But again, I, I, I th- that is the main part of the reason why that's being played because i i've i've talked about that like it does no good to have these superstars that we put these limiters on you know aaron jones is a superstar but we're not going to play him we're not going to give him the ball um rashawn gary's a superstar where every other team when they have a superstar they are by far getting the most snaps and in some cases almost never come off the field aside from just a very quick breather and then they're right back out there and then we got rashawn and it's like I mean, I know he's injured, but even when he's not, it's just a, it's, it's too close. To, it's just, it's too heavy of a rotation, and I don't like it. But anyways, we absolutely, at the very least, need to get back to the part where he is getting the most snaps of all the outside linebackers. I think that uh, that JJ, I think that Lucas, um, two young players. You know, one guy's in his second year, the other guy in his rookie year. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that they're just going to keep improving and and playing more and showing that they deserve more playtime. And with that playtime you know, comes production. You know, the other cool thing about that is sometimes I forget about some of the potential prospects that we have and and how good they could become. You know, I forget about Stokes entirely that, you know, we still have this guy that had a pretty good rookie year and then got injured and we'll see what happens. I forget about Lucas Van Ness and, um, you know, you get all hyped up after the draft and like early on in the season, like, oh man, he's going to be a monster. And then when, you know, he plays like a rookie and doesn't get as much snap time because Rashawn's back and Preston's, you know, he's kind of like the new Rashawn Gary where it's like, well, we got our top two guys. You can maybe be number three. Um, And you just kind of forget about him. But man, you forget about that upside. You forget a little bit about, you know, what what happens if Musgrave becomes a a legit stud or or even Jaden Reed, you know? I mean, these guys are rookies. You never know how it's going to pan out. Now, some of them are probably going to straight up bust out or at the very least just not necessarily be as good as you'd hope. But, you know, I was thinking about that yesterday when, or it was actually today, I think I, well, yesterday, today, same thing, because it was yesterday for me. But the whole Anthony Johnson Jr. thing, it's like, oh yeah, I forgot about him. Now, I mean, he's a seventh-round pick. You know how I feel about that. There's a low probability that he's going to be some kind of a stud. But it's like, oh, yeah, you kind of forget. Like, we might, have a, we might have a dude there, possibly, maybe. You know, we've all given up on Tucker Craft, but who knows? I mean, at the, what if he just becomes, like, decent? I mean, if he grows even a little bit, which I don't think any of us think he will because he's a third-round pick, and we just assume he's never going to do anything productive on the field, but... You know, and then there's also second-year guys and third-year guys and, you know, taking that this year to next year leap. At least for me, I, I get stuck in, like, this is what we are, this is what we have. And for some guys, that's the case. Like, I feel like we know what Jair is, we know what Rashawn is, kind of kind of think we know what, like, the offensive line is for the most part. Maybe we're still trying to figure out Zach Tom, and I'm kind of iffy on Elton as far as, you know, I mean, he's been injured a lot, so it's hard to tell, like, what he would be like if he was healthy and consistently in one spot for a long time 
But, I mean, there, there's some guys we kind of know what they are. But there's a lot of guys, especially on a super young team, we don't know. So even though this is an evaluation year, we're not going to 100% know what everybody is. And so there's, there's still some some cool prospects and in, in one of the coolest potential prospects, not, not necessarily saying likely, but um, higher probability than some other things, considering Rashawn is already a stud. One of those being Rashawn and Lucas Van Ness being a, one of the more dominant pass rush duos in the future, if Lucas can step into that. Now, he's currently behind the eight ball. He got off to a pretty good start, but... Um, he has five pressures on 60 attempts, which is low. That's sub 10% and, and has one sack, which is not terrible on his uh, limited opportunities. But, um, you know, you'd like to see a little bit better of that. But at the same time, he is one of the better run defenders. Not not good, mind you, but everybody that is above him in pressures has a worse run defense grade aside from Preston Smith. He has, well, where are we at here? I mean, it's it's technically he's 11th, but... Among edge rushers and whatnot, he's he's better. So that's not a terrible thing, especially if he's kind of going to be the Preston Smith replacement at some point. If this guy can hold down the edge a little bit better than Rashawn and then continue to develop as a pass rusher, which I think we saw he needs, right? I mean, he's got the power, which is great, but I think when we when we watched him in the past try to do like some counter moves and stuff, it, it kind of fell pretty flat. So there's, there's a lot of growing there, but I mean, j- just the simple fact that I forgot to even watch him when I'm watching football games anymore, like early in the season and in the preseason, man, I was, all I wanted to see was Lucas Van Ness, maybe a little Devonte Wyatt, but yeah, give me Lucas Van Ness. Wyatt, by the way, is a freaking animal. I, I cannot believe the little amount of credit that guy, he has 17 pressures on 96 attempts. Kenny Clark has 14 pressures on 145 attempts. It's not quite Rashawn Gary crazy, who has 20 pressures on 78 attempts, which is the freaking craziest thing in the world. And yes, he has a, uh, Devontae Wyatt has a 50 run defense grade and a 27 tackling grade. But five seconds ago, if we said if he was an elite pass rusher, would you be okay with him not being the best run defender? Everybody's hand would have gone in the air. But now that he is playing like an elite pass rusher, everybody wants to, oh yeah, how's he doing against the run? I don't give a crap, dude. Maybe you and I are different on that one, but I really don't care. I mean, would I like it to get better? Yes, but to, to, to freaking nitpick, 17 pressures on 96 attempts. That's freaking insane. I mean, you got to understand, and I'm not saying he can maintain that, but if he maintains that, that's that's like Aaron Donald level we're at right now. That's that's how high that number is. I know we're going off on a tangent here, but I'm, I'm just saying there's, there are some positives here for us to get excited about, and I think the investment in pass rushers is finally starting to pay off. Right, that was the big fear. Is like they're they're kind of abandoning the run defense and going with pass rushers. And we got Rashawn Gary and Devontae Wyatt playing out of their mind. Kenny Clark is, you know, the the pressure rate isn't that great, but he's getting like a sack a game. He, he gets like that first drive sack, and then he kind of just coasts the rest of the game. But he tears up that first drive. I mean, Colby Wooden has seven pressures on fifty six attempts. That's pretty fantastic. Carl Brooks has seven on seventy seven, which is just around ten percent. But he had added two sacks to that. So, I mean, we're getting production from these guys, you know? We got seven different players with a sack so far this season up front. Preston Smith, Kingsley Nigbare, Lucas Van Ness each have one. Carl Brooks has two. Devontae Wyatt, three. Kenny Clark, four. Rashawn Gary, five. We don't even have any linebacker sacks yet. Waiting on that Colby Wooden sack that's coming around the bend. I mean, he's, I mean, and again, his pressure rate is high. It's seven pressures on 56 attempts. So that's coming. I'm excited, man. There, there are things to be excited about. I mean, Rudy Ford is a thing to be excited about because safety was a massive concern, and I'm still iffy on Rudy because you know how I feel about, you know, later round guys. He's a sixth round pick, but he's kind of, I mean, he reminds me very much of Razul Douglas. I mean, just, just the way his grades are laid out, um, it's like 60, 40, 60, 50, 50. That, that's very Razul Douglas-y. Then he comes here and it's a 75 with a 78 coverage grade. And I'm like, okay, well, that's probably not going to be replicated. Now he has a 74 grade with a 74 coverage grade on top of a 67 run defense and an 82 tackling grade. And by the way, his tackling has been great every week since week one. I mean, a 32 in week one, then it was 85, 85, 86, 83. His coverage grade, his grades overall have been great for three weeks in a row. Consistency is hard to come by. Especially for a guy like Rudy Ford, who last year mostly his grades were really good because of like elite games. He's, his games over the last three, I mean, he might be our best player the last three weeks. 88, 73, and 75 have been his overall grades. 81, 78, and basically 70 have been his coverage grades. 
Um, he's given up six passes for quick math, 40, 50, call it 60 yards, uh, one touchdown with two picks and two pass breakups. For the season, it's a 37.7 passer rating when targeted. I mean, we, we got some stuff, man. I, I don't know if Joe Barry is going to be the guy moving forward. I've, I've said before, I don't think he's going to be just based on how the defense is. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, if he can continue to do what he's doing, which I'm skeptical about because I think a lot of what's happening is because of playing bad teams. But if, if we can continue to keep teams to sub 20, then I, I mean, there's little doubt that he's going to be able to keep his job. Again, I'm just skeptical of that. But regardless, I, 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 stand by the fact that we've got some studs on this team. I mean, 15 different guys have generated pressures. We just got to be able to be more consistent and keep those pressures going and get off the field more. You know, we got to capitalize on these, turning these pressures into sacks, uh, capitalizing on picks when they're there so that we can get off the field a little bit more. Maybe the easiest way to get off the field is to stop the run a little bit better, but, you know, I don't know if that's going to happen. Anyways, anyways, again, I'm off I'm off on a friggin' tangent here. Then we get the the... The thing that everybody really wants to hear, this is this is what everybody wants, it's it's the play with Preston in coverage and whatnot. So I will play Joe Barry's response. It's, it's very similar to what I said before. It's, you know, here's the situation. Why didn't you just have this guy go stand over there and this guy stand over there? And, and Joe Barry, I mean, the, the answer essentially gets answered in the first few seconds, which is, I wish it was that easy. But here is his answer. That was, I, I wish it was that easy. I, I, I really... Uh, would we called a uh, you know we called a, a we called a coverage that required Preston to drop and he happened to be a boundary dropper and they happened to put <laughs> Tay at, at slot into the boundary so um, you know sometimes you'll have mechanisms where you have you know checks or or things built in where you can get out of that we simply just because based on the personnel we were in and the personnel that they were in, we didn't have that mechanism, um, you know, and it, it ended up being. Why, why didn't you ask about the the other three catches and the tw- twenty three yards well, that Tay had? You, you just brought up that one catch. Well, no, I just want. I was curious, not so much why Preston was under Virgin. I just yeah. wonder why you got a veteran corner and a better lineman. And hey, can you just talk amongst yourselves at this. Switch on their own. I guess that's kind of. I wish it was that easy. Um, and and that and that thing. It was. It was. It was a. Uh, you almost have to just if you're pressing. You almost have to just survive the down and try to keep it to as as minimal as you can. Um, but that's a that's a that's a poor matchup for him to be in, and that that's that's totally on me for for us to be able to put him in that situation. We got to have a mechanism to get out of it, um, and we just have a have to have a built-in check which. We will and we can do, but based on the personnel that they were in, we never thought it would come up. So um, ended up being a bad play on on totally on my. It was that was me. It was not Preston. So trying my best to not say rock paper scissors, but <laughs> uh, I mean th- th- there's a couple things. Number one, again, and I I don't mean to say that the media is is ignorant here. I, I think there's there's even if you understand, there's value in asking a simplified question to get a more detailed answer, even if it's just for the edification of your listeners or, or whatever, um, because that's the questions that are being asked on social media and whatnot. Um, but again, you, you get sort of this simplistic, I mean, essentially what he is asserting is, why don't you just have the players talk to each other and say, never mind, uh, Preston, I'm going to stand there at outside linebacker. Preston, you get back on the line. Like, I, I mean, it's essentially like, why don't we just completely change the, the structure of the play and like do it on the fly backyard football kind of thing? Um, that's not going to work. I mean, there's one play called, and as he said, there there isn't a mechanism to get out of it. So they didn't even have an option of, of check because you would have to change the entire play. Um. I mean, the only thing I could think is, aside from a check, would be just be to give somebody like Quay Walker or whoever's wearing the helmet the opportunity to just call a different play. Um, but that's that's obviously more responsibility than I think just about any middle linebacker is going to be given. Um, however, he did go on to say that, I mean, twofold. Number one, I called it thinking that they wouldn't have done what they did, and they did. That is a rock-paper-scissors thing, right? That That is their offense kind of just anticipating what you're going to do and putting you in a tough spot. That is them winning the rock, paper, scissors battle, period. 
So you can say like, well, the, the, you know, there, it's not Joe's fault because there wasn't an, another option. Well, it was it was technically Joe's fault for calling the wrong play at the wrong time. Um, so that that is definitive, and and he's taken taken that one on the chin. But he also goes on to say that there are options. You know, so he's kind of like, well, there there isn't a mechanism, but we can and we will add a mechanism. So I, I, it's, it's a little confusing because he's like, well, we, we couldn't have put a mechanism in based on the personnel and all that kind of stuff, but we will going forward. Well, that doesn't make sense. You either could have but didn't, or you couldn't have, and it'll happen again next time too. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, again, those are one of those things that maybe in that specific instance we can have a plan, but then there's going to be a different specific instance that we didn't plan for that we still get stuck in. Um, you know, again, I think it just comes down to trying to call the right plays at the right time. There, there are times when you, you, you get, I mean, it's, it's like I said, you know, wh- why do you have Preston out there? Well, Preston is out there because we're in a heavier formation. You can go lighter if you want, but then the problem is if they run the ball, which they might in that situation, if you decide to stay in nickel formation, which I mean, maybe they, I don't really know, but let's just say hypothetically, you, you go into nickel formation and now they run the ball, and you're like, you freaking idiot, why are you in nickel when they're running the ball? Um, that's that's part of the complication of, of being a defensive coordinator is you um, you kind of get dictated too. You know, you try to dictate as much as you can. You, know, you put extra men on the line so that you can get, you know, man blocking or whatever. You, you can try to do your best to dictate, but, I mean, they can always change things. If you're in a heavier personnel and we got a bunch of tight ends out there, well, I can throw to these guys, so we'll check out of it and we'll throw. You want to come out and nickel? Well, let's try to run. I mean, they're especially this team, they're bad against the run. So, I mean, it, it, but but I'm, I'm not trying to make too many excuses because there are defensive coordinators that make it work. Um, but I, th- I think there's two things at play here. Number one, we try to oversimplify things to crucify Joe Barry. But at the same time, this still was Joe Barry's fault because he did call the wrong thing at the wrong time. He even said, we didn't think that they would do it. So I called this and then they did it and, you know... And again, it's, it, it shouldn't be that hard to figure. I mean, I, I don't know. It seems almost automatic in that situation. If you can identify what the play is, I'm going to just throw a guy in the slot and Preston's going to go out there and we're going to crucify the guy. Now, you don't know exactly what the coverage is, so you have to be careful. You know, if our linebackers don't blitz and they kind of stay in zone and Devontae runs, you know, a quick slant, you don't know if he's going to come open. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's that's that's the whole dance. And again, that's what we expect Joe Barry to do. He needs to be able to dance. You know, we called a play, they changed their play, we need to counter that. Counter, 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 counter. We, we, we got to put our guys in a position to win, and that was one of those times where our guys were obviously not in a position to win. So I'll leave the Joe Barry thing at that. I don't know that there was a ton else that I found massively interesting. Um, Joe Barry and the defense are kind of similar to everything else. You know, you, uh, I want it to work. I want I want what we had last year after the bye where the defense came out and was one of the top defenses in football. I want to see more Rashawn Gary. I want to see Jair really take a step and get back to being that elite player. Not saying he's playing bad, but, you know, I want him to be, let's call it a top 10 corner again. Uh, Razul's playing really well. Let's see, uh, you know, the pass rush continue. The run defense take it uh, half a step. You know, I mean, we, we got players, man. We got some stuff going on, and, and I would love nothing more than for Joe Barry to be the guy and to step up and call the right plays at the right time. I, I don't want replacements. I don't, you know, um, as fans, we're always calling for that. You know, fire this. It's not good enough. Da, 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 but, man, it's such an investment, and it takes so much time. It would be so much easier if it just worked as it is, you know. Just just do better. Because, you know, they're, they're, first of all, there's no guarantees, you know. You, you go through the process of finding a new defensive coordinator, and it, like we've seen before, it doesn't fix the problem. And um, then you, you put another two, three-year investment in that guy, and it's a waste of time. And now we've got guys that are getting old. you got guys like Rashawn Gary that are reaching the end of that second contract, and, you know, and they're, they're starting to push 30 now. And now we don't have these premier players anymore to, to sit here and blame the defensive coordinator because you got these great players and you don't know how to use them. Well, we don't, we're running out of great players. But it's still just kind of a wait and see. Um, again, my, my assumption is Joe Barry won't survive um, into next year. I expect relatively good things this week because, again, it's a it's a pretty weak opponent. And granted, most teams in the NFL are not super fantastic, and, and you know, the defense should be relatively capable. But I think teams that are able to run are going to be able to run, and teams that are able to pass are going to be able to pass, and uh, it's just going to kind of be what it is. 
but we shall see. Let's take one more break. We'll get to the Matt LaFleur interview, see if there's anything interesting there. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Uh, next, or second question, I guess, for Matt LaFleur coming out was, um, was the break needed? It's not really the reason I'm playing it is his answer for that. But the, the one thing that kind of came to mind is I guess I'm a little upset that there's as many injuries as there are. You know, you kind of look forward to a bye because everyone's going to come back healthy. And now we're seeing new guys on the injury report that weren't there before. You know, and Aaron Jones is in the same situation he was. So I don't necessarily feel more comfortable with him. I mean, I, I think he's going to play, but it's like, man, I'm not seeing a healthy team. I'm seeing a loaded injury report with a bunch of questionables that weren't even questionable the last time we played. But anyways, here's his answer to that. Yeah, um, I don't know if it was necessarily needed. I, I definitely feel a, you know, a rejuvenated bunch. I mean, there was some really good energy, not only on Monday, but today as well. And um, we're focused and we know we have to prepare and get better through practice in order to go out there and play better and uh, against a team that, you know, I, I, I know what the record is, but when you look at it, um, lost one game, the first game by one point, lost to Washington uh, right at the end there by two points. And then, you know, it was a tight game with the Jets. So uh, that's just this league and you got to prepare to be your best each and every week. And um, I know Denver's a very tough place to play. So we have to have a great week of preparation. Honestly, the only reason I played is because it's good to hear Matt saying that there was some good energy. Now, I know a lot of us are going to roll our eyes at that. We've been hearing that since the Mike McCarthy days. A lot of great energy, real good energy. I feel like every year, like at the start of the season, we heard Mike McCarthy talking about this is like the the most energetic or the most uh, whatever uh, motivated team I've seen in, in my time being here. And it was like the same thing every year. Like, okay, well, apparently this thing just keeps ramping up every year. It's pretty crazy. Uh, and then occasionally you'd get the, like, this is BS, there's not enough energy. But usually it was the other thing where it was like, oh, this is the most energized group I've ever seen. But I'll take him at his word because, I mean, he's he's been honest about the fact that the energy level isn't where he wants it to be. I mean, that was his thing. He said in the last press conference we listened to two days ago, he said energy was the biggest thing he was concerned about. So for him to come out and say that he saw it and is excited about it, that's a good thing. Matt LaFleur, I think every single press conference gets more and more pissy um <laughs> i don't know why i don't know if it's just because they're losing and he he hates that he knows the questions are going to be negative and he just hates the questions the media whatever or if he's just burned out or what but um he reminds me of razul douglas a little bit with his his answers every, everything is a, every answer he, he gives an answer but it sounds like behind the answer is you're a freaking idiot <laughs> So he was asked about the running back that they brought in. Here was his answer. Yeah, he's a guy that's been a productive back in this league. There you go. There's the whole answer. <laughs> oh, he hates everybody. Next question was, what does Emmanuel Wilson have to do to get more playing time? I'm playing it because I think a lot of people, and and, and honestly, the last I saw somebody else talk about uh, Robinson, who we picked up. I think that's his name. Um and how he's going to tear up this game, and it's like he's he's not going to play. I mean, he's he's on the practice squad, and uh, you know, I I feel like we we get excited about people thinking that they're going to have bigger roles or whatever, and and kind of going to just leapfrog or or skip a lot of the other steps that are required to have an active role in the NFL. And Emmanuel Wilson, I, I not not much anymore, but um, I think there's still a question of why isn't he like the main guy everybody's so down on dylan and so high on emmanuel wilson or whatever but anyways here's his answer i just think it's um you know there's a learning curve for every young player in this league and you just got to prove it through practice and um you know he's a talented guy no question about it but it's just that trust that he can go out there no matter what the the defense gives gives us that he's going to be able to go out there and execute because it's not just running the football it's protections it's all that and I think he's progressing nicely and um, we'll give him more opportunities throughout practice and in order to, for him to go out there and do it in the game and, and and this is you know me Mr. Repetitive this is the Dean Lowry effect this is everybody sees that the guy can run the ball well and probably maybe even in some situations better than than what Dylan is doing. So it's a very simple answer or equation. He should be the running back or at least should be getting more opportunities. But for the coaching staff, 
I'm guessing this is true across the NFL, but especially the Green Bay Packers and Matt LaFleur. The, the question is, do you know everything, essentially? Like, it, it, when we put you out there, are you going to be a liar? And, and, and look, we've seen this kind of stuff where, you know, see it across the NFL, not as much in Green Bay that, that I can remember anyways, but you'll see a running back kind of, you know, run into a hole to try to block and somebody comes from a completely different side and smokes the quarterback. You know, he just, he doesn't know where he's, actually we did see that once in Green Bay. And I think it was either on, was it Patrick Taylor? We were kind of confused as to who was supposed to pick that up. We were thinking it was probably Rasheed Walker because Patrick Taylor, I think it was, was on the opposite side of him. But you know, the, the, the point is they don't want to see that stuff. You don't know where to go. You don't know who to block. And then, you know, we're also seeing with Patrick Taylor where he's he's going out running routes and these passing plays. He's the check down and he's not running quite in the right spot or the right way or whatever. And the ball ends up hitting the ground twice. I mean, and, and those are catastrophic things. Those are those are third downs that become fourth downs. And now we got a punt. So, you know, if, if they think you're going to be that guy, that liability, then we're not putting you out there. I don't care how good of a just straight up runner you might be. And no, we can't just put you out only when we're going to run because that's too much of a tell. We need to be able to put you out there and keep you out there for everything in the playbook. And no matter what I call, you know how to execute it. He's not that guy right now. Uh, he's asked a lot of questions about, you know, and again, we, we did this whole thing before. Uh, how do you balance, you know, running your scheme and, and also having guys that don't know what they're doing? And, you know, the answers are more or less the same. I mean, guys got to do what they got to do. And it's kind of a yes to both, I guess. I don't know, but... Here, here is, I guess, an answer to that question. No, I think yeah, you got to be smart about it. And there's certain things that you you're going to ask certain tight ends to do that you're not going to ask others to do. It's just you know part of it, and you got to adjust your scheme and and try to work around it. Without helping out the Broncos. And again, he's right, but but it it doesn't really help us in any real way in understanding. You know, it's like. Yeah, it's crazy, man. You got to change some stuff. Like, but what do you do? Like, are you, what, what, what are we doing here? Like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta mix it up. Gotta, gotta do the thing. You know, never know. Crazy world, a lot of smells. <laughs> All right. A uh, question was asked. You know, he's had a lot of time to self-reflect and and whatever uh, to look at the tape and whatnot. What did you find? Just a lot of inconsistent play. Uh, there's certain things that, as a play caller, that you you are disappointed with yourself in terms of putting guys in certain situations. And then um, it's just been very choppy. It's it, We haven't been able to get into a consistent rhythm. Um, you know, just the, the early down execution has put us into some get back on track situations. And that's really where we've really struggled um, in terms of we've had a ton of third and longs, which it's hard to have success in this league if you're living in third and 10 plus. So I just, I think the overall consistency, because it takes all 11, I, we say it all the time, but it always, it, just going back and looking at, at the tape, it's like there's a guy off here or a guy off there, and it's just, it could be one person and it, it throws you off rhythm. So We've really tried to stress the importance of staying dialed in, play in and play out, really with that. I know we always talk about that one play mindset, but it, it is true when you look at the tape. And if not all 11 are dialed in on, on their responsibilities, then you're probably not going to have success in this league. So, I mean, this is one of those things where, I, again, I'm kind of reading between the lines a little bit or whatever. Maybe I'm misinterpreting, but I feel like the – the part where he takes it on himself, to, to some degree, he's, I mean, he's telling the truth and he, he acknowledges it, but when he says that, what did you see when you looked at the tape, and his immediate response is a lot of inconsistent play, and he spends 90% of the time talking about guys not doing their job, you know, he's, he's going to put in this caveat because he doesn't want to just throw his team under the bus and, and basically say, you know, we all got to be better and I got to be better as a play caller or whatever, but... Um, I think although there's an element of truth to that, I think on, the honest answer... And, and I partially think this because this is also, again, my assessment, but um, I think the honest answer is these guys are messing up. <laughs> like, they're, they're, they're just inconsistent play and, and, like, across the board. Like, you know, the offensive line and the quarterback. And, and, and it's sort of like you said, too, where it, it takes all 11, which is very true because if one guy messes up, and the problem is there's always one guy messing up. 
right? I mean, you, you, you got that third and 10 situation. I mean, if you go back and watch him, almost every third and long situation, there's an option. Either the offensive line lets somebody come free so the, the play isn't able to get off, so one of the offensive linemen or more messes up, or tight end or whoever's supposed to be blocking, or Jordan doesn't see it or doesn't throw it or throws it improperly. And that doesn't even discuss how we got into this third and long situation to begin with, whether it was terrible run blocking or a bad decision by a running back or you know, a, a bad throw or poor pass blocking or whatever the case may be. I mean, it's, it's, it's bad play that got us into third and long, and it's bad play that didn't get us out of third and long. And, and I agree that Matt LaFleur doesn't deserve to be absolved of all blame, but I think if you were to give him a grade not based on being perfect, but based on, you know, being better than the defensive coordinator. I mean, he's, he's going to get like a 95 grade, man. I mean, it's, it's, he's, he got an A on the test because, I mean, the, the defensive court, the amount of times the defensive coordinator shut down the offense, I could literally count on one hand. I mean, you know, as far as passing goes, running is, is much more difficult to assess in terms of, you know, I mean, I, I, I can see the players succeeding or failing, but at the same time, sometimes they, they can do schematic things. And so it's, it's a little bit more difficult, but on passing, it's like there's a guy open. So I don't know that I need to know anything else. Matt LaFleur's job in a passing situation is make sure somebody comes open past the sticks on third down. Did you do that? Yes. Okay, done. <laughs> that's all I need to know. Maybe that's too simplistic, but that is, that is my entire criteria. Then he gets asked a question about, um, you know, what's the difference between the Broncos against Miami and the Broncos against the Chiefs? And his answer is essentially what one of the things I wanted to talk about, which is not giving enough credit to Denver. And I'm not saying they have a good defense, but you're going to hear from a lot of people how, you know, just this is the worst defense ever. This is the, but it's like, if it's because of one game though, and, and they had two other games where they allowed points, I think in the thirties, which isn't that crazy, but it's a thing. But, I mean, if, if, if we're going to hang that much on, on that game in the 70s, and then you look at how much that skews, not just points, but yards and everything else, yeah, it's going to seem like a historically bad defense. But it isn't, in terms of what you should expect, because in three out of the six games they played, it wasn't that bad of a defense. So to, to, to simply see it as the team that gave up 70 um, and 30 to the Bears, so therefore they must just be the worst ever, I think is the wrong way to look at it. But here's what he had to say. Yeah, I think that you're looking at an anomaly there. I mean, that was one just really bad game. And I don't know if you guys have watched any football around the league, but Miami's kind of doing that to everybody. So um, that's a really good offense with a ton of speed. And if you're not on top of your game, they can make you look silly. They just have way too much speed out there. And that's kind of what happened. There was a lot of big plays in that game, and they got loose. When you're watching the game, especially early on, it wasn't like crazy. It just it, it got out of hand, I think, as the game went on. But I think that was, again, that was one game. You look at week one versus the Raiders, they, they, they held them under 300 yards. So, um, you know, you're only as good as your, your last performance, and I think their last performance against the Chiefs was, was pretty solid defensively. And so, you know, again, we'll, we'll go through and, and look at the team and, and try to be more objective about it. And I'm not saying they're a good defense or a good team, but to come into this expecting to score, you know, at least 30, maybe 40 points, otherwise our offense sucks, um, that's, I mean, again, then I guess the Chiefs massively suck because they couldn't even get to 20. We need to kind of step back a little bit and recognize that it's, it's a rough team. I don't think it's as bad as everybody expects them to be which is problematic because if they're bad but not maybe as bad as people think, then we're kind of talking about, like, Raiders bad, you know, which, uh, except they have a better offense. So there you go. Then he drops this little nugget, which I appreciated. We, I'm not worried as much about them. I'm worried more about us because we need more consistent play on all th in every facet from from up front to the receiving core to tight ends to the quarterback to the running backs we just got to be better as the offense in general and 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 that's exactly right i mean that that is the right um you know, we, we focus a lot on denver and keeping our fingers crossed that they're so bad that we could actually win this game and they're so bad that maybe this could be a bounce back and hopefully this is like the historic 
like terrible defense that we need to be able to get the offense back on track. And it's like that. I mean, I get it, but that's the wrong mentality. If, 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 the, if our whole hope is, man, I hope we play a team that's so bad that we can actually win, then, then we're not actually hoping for an improvement on our offense. What we should want, and you know, both things can happen at the same time. You can have a resurgence on offense against a terrible defense so that you score like 40, 50 points and just get all excited. Um, but really, at the end of the day, regardless of what Denver is, if this team plays at a level that we need them to play at, we're going to be able to beat them no matter what because they're not a good football team. And you don't need to be historically bad to beat a, you know, below average football team. If you are a good football team, you know, it's pretty straightforward math. So he's right. I mean, what, what we need isn't to play bad teams. What we need is to be a good team. And we have to be better across the board, especially on offense right now. And then we did get another... um moment of honesty from Matt LaFleur here and again kind of goes along with I don't think he's happy with the play of the players um but he was asked specifically about Jordan Love and here is kind of halfway through that answer but there's there's so many things that that we just got to throw and catch better and I don't care if we're doing it on air it's got to be better it's got to be more consistent um and you know I think there's the guys are working hard at it I can tell you that I'm excited about being able to go out there and play a game and um it just we, we got to have two more great days of prep in order to go out there and, and compete so that was the end of it and, and again i was just usually you don't get a ton of honesty especially when the honest answer is the players are not doing well enough but matt lafleur has never really been too shy about saying that he did it kind of last year and um you know, again, he puts a lot of caveats in and, you know, they're working hard at it and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, again, got to throw and catch better. So, uh, you know, as I've said before, one of my favorite attributes about Matt LaFleur is he doesn't make excuses. And he's not making excuses for anybody else, for the receivers, for the offensive line, or for Jordan Love. It's just, it's not good enough. We need consistency and we just need to be better. And that's, I, I just think that's very self-evident in my opinion but anyways i'm gonna leave it at that you guys have a good rest of your day i will talk to you tomorrow have a good one Bye bye